Hi, welcome to the podcast. Today I get to interview a person who's been a friend of mine for decades. We're actually a couple of pretty old dudes, but uh, he's a missionary to four countries in Latin America, working mostly on leadership development, disciple making, and of course, church multiplication. So his name is Lee Schnabel. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ralph. Good to be here with you and looking forward to being with you later on in the year to do some things together as well. So Lee, tell us a little bit about the scope of the of the ministry that you're doing, where you're working, what countries, and, and you know, what are the top three priorities that you have right now? Well, um, I, we're working in uh, Paraguay, Peru, Bolivia, and Nicaragua. We're developing a training using a collaborative method of leadership training that was actually developed by a nun in Africa named Jane Vela. Uh, she calls it dialogue education. We call it collaborative leadership training because we're not just about dialogue, we're also about doing. So when we train people to prophesy, we prophesy. We just don't talk about it. We don't discuss it. And so, so working in four countries right now, effectively uh, doing training, training the trainers, training people to write curriculum, we pull out in five to seven years, and these things operate on their own. So we just had, for example, uh, five marriage retreats in Nicaragua through Nicaraguans that we had trained while we were there two years ago, but also recently online. And so five, five retreats done during COVID without us even being present. And so they'll do four more uh, next month, and we're effectively blanketing the whole nation with marriage retreats of people that we've trained uh, so training the trainers is is basically what we're all about so um so that's a big piece of what i do the other piece that i'm working on is i'm uh adjunct uh, faculty in a hispanic master's program in it's called a master's in strategic leadership so that takes up a lot of my time as well and very exciting for me because out of that group we recruit unashamedly uh, people that we want to have working with us in uh, in Latin America. And then I'm, I'm currently working on a book on the healing ministry of Amy Semple McPherson. And that's that's also become a big part of my, my life as far as a priority to get the book out. Uh, we'll be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the founding of Angela's Temple in 2023. So January of that year. So hoping to get it done before then and and out to the out to the church at large. I really think Mrs. McPherson's message is for the body of Christ. It's not just for one denomination. So that's, that's what's going on. That's exciting. One of the things that, as I hear you talk, you and I are kind of holding hands on some projects together, and it has to do with local church and making disciples. We were talking earlier about so many big churches will just arbitrarily hire staff from the outside rather than growing people up from right. the inside. I'm constantly getting accused of disassociating with seminaries and educational institutions. And I graduated from a couple of them and I believe in them. It's just that we've kind of placed leadership development in the local church. And then we see seminary or another educational institution as a finishing school. You know, we'll, we'll teach you how to make disciples, identify leaders, train those guys, basically, basically pastor a church. And then we're gonna send you these guys so we, we just moved the, the institution away from being, I got to go here so I can get a piece of paper to I want to go here so I can get an education. And I think it's kind of exciting to work with someone like you 
who you're deep in the academic world, but at the same time, you got your other foot uh, well planted in some some pretty difficult places to do ministry. It's exciting. Right. right. I, I, if I could just make one comment, I think the failure both on the Protestant side and the Catholic side, because I've read Catholic professors make these statements, is that they decided decades, I mean, maybe centuries ago that lots of Bible, lots of theology somehow would make you an effective pastor or a priest, as opposed to taking a vocational approach that says, what do you need to know to do in those roles? And, and that decision centuries ago literally has created this huge void that people go, go through these undergraduate and even graduate programs with very little sometimes uh, training in what they're going to be doing on a week-to-week basis in whatever position they land in, in the church or in a parachurch organization. So I think that's the failure. And, and so I'm, I'm all about making this very streamlined and let's teach people what they need to know to do ministry. And, and as you know, pastoring is a very multidisciplinary uh, job. It's, uh, it's the kind of thing you got to know a lot, a little, you have to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. And so uh, it's challenging and it requires a lot of mentoring, it requires a lot of uh, learning to make good decisions. And so I, I find myself in, in a, um, in an academic environment, but at the same time, everything we're doing in Latin America is very much an informal or non-formal training approach, because I believe that is equally or maybe even more valid. And you've kind of became the poster child for me, as I would be in these discussions in Latin America with national leaders of, we have to allow for organic church planting and organic discipleship. We've got to plan for that, honor that, make a place for that, because that is that's the bi- basic that's the Bible way of doing things. And everything else really should be coming behind behind that. And kind of what you've been you've been really doing this. I've been I've been kind of been your cheerleader in certain sectors of the church in Latin America. But I'm totally committed to if we just can't do it with the Bible alone, something's wrong. Yeah. And, and you've really uh, really you're the best example for me of somebody that's done it that way. And, and but but done it really wisely. Very. I mean, you you just do things with that excellence. So. I'm thrilled to partner with you because you really feed so much of what we're trying to accomplish at multiple levels. So it really is a blessing for me. You know, I wonder if we could go back in time to fourth century when, you know, Constantine apparently, or we're told, was marching armies through rivers and declaring them baptized. And the the disciple-making element, actually the pure evangelism personal evangelism element pretty much evaporated overnight and so now you have all these uneducated people who know nothing and it seems with this wave of I mean Constantine's mother you know establishing church buildings on all the holy sites in Israel and those kinds of things they had to conjure up something to to educate a lot of people but what we've ended up with is is a a model that for one is expensive expensive to institution running it. And, and now it's expensive enough that you got to be at least middle class in America to go to a Bible college or a seminary. A lot of the people that were crying, uh, we're not reaching them with the gospel, simply could not afford to go to one of our institutions. And I know that when you get into some of the places that I was with you, with you in Latin America or 
I had a trip to Paraguay and Brazil and uh, Ecuador and Bolivia a number of years ago. And I was in some places where there's just no money. And right. if we can't get back to what worked the best for the first 300 years and would work in every culture, in every situation, exactly. uh, we're really failing the church. Yeah, reproducibility has got to be a critical issue in everything we do. And so um, I, I think we fail. I, I really like the, the Baptist approach of, you know, I, I, my mother's side of the family is Baptist. My dad's side was Lutheran. So I grew up in this kind of a crazy world. But, uh, but and then I became Foursquare. I went off the reservation. But uh, the, uh, I like the idea that out of a local church, somebody could get a call and the elders would lay hands on that person. And they were honored in that calling. It was like, and so when I, uh, left uh, the University of Arizona, for example, and, and went to Bible college. My family thought I'd run off and join a cult in California, literally. My grandmother was totally supportive. My Baptist grandmother was, well, Billy Graham started on the streets. He can too. So she was very much supporting me while my family was just in shock because they had a background of clergy who had lots of education, but were in some places, in some ways, living very... Uh, beneath the middle class. I mean, they just were struggling with their MDivs and MAs. But, uh, but I totally agree with what you're saying is we have to, uh, we have to go back to the basics. And, and now with the way the world is so unstable, it's got to drive us to the core of who we really are when it comes to discipleship and, and church growth and all those kind of things. The essence of the gospel just has to become the key piece. You know, there's such an emphasis these days on church multiplication, but in many cases, it seems self-serving. You know, I do a coaching module off my website, and part of, well, actually what I was doing today was I recorded a session called Macro Serving Micro, and we get it backwards in our churches for starters. We, we will, you know, we'll try to build a, what classically has been called a cell church, small groups, whatever. But they're there to serve the Sunday morning deal. And we're harvesting money from these people. We're harvesting their friends or, or whatever. But for one thing, it, it limits the kind of people who are coming to people who look like us. So right. if, if we're middle class, they're middle class, that whole thing. We're not reaching into the little pockets of society where, where people are, are self-identifying around what, motorcycles or surfing or trips to the Bahamas if they're wealthy. There, there, there are all these pockets of society that we're not reaching very well. And I, I think some of it comes from this attitude of everything exists for us, for the center. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, where elders are told not to lord it over people, not to do things for financial gain, that they're there to serve. And so we've, we've kind of flipped it to where the micro services the, the macro. The right. small is there to help the big exist. And uh, I think that's the reason in this post-pandemic post era that everybody's kind of, wow, we get to go back in the building. And, you know, we had to do all these other things during the pandemic, but now we're back. Well, are we really? You know, that, that could be taken away from us. I've, I've been reading a book by a friend of mine, Neil Cole, called Rising Tides. And he points out, you know, the deal with the church in China how it prospered largely due to the little flock movement that Watchman Nee, they, 
they dispersed the church. They, they, the big was there to serve the small until the big was taken away under Mao Zedong. In Russia, it was all about buildings and holy men and, and holy sites and all of this. In America today, we're pretty well propped up by, by the federal government being in bed with the church in ways that people who just heard me say that might go, what? That's not true at all. I'm having all kinds of problems with government. But think about this. My housing allowance from the church was not taxed. So it was effectively a, a, allowed the church to pay me less and I could live at a certain standard. Our property taxes don't exist. You know, that's why cities don't want churches to build because it takes the land off the tax rolls. And then our income isn't taxed like a business would be. If, yeah. if those three tax opportunities went away, uh, we'd be very vulnerable to not being able to survive. And I, and, and I think we've just put all of our eggs in one basket when it's all about the Sunday morning deal rather than about how can the Sunday morning deal be here to equip you to do the work of ministry because that's really where it's at. And as soon as we begin to equip our people at a leadership level, but also as you know, every member of a priest, we're going to get into those nooks and crannies of society, and we're not going to be vulnerable to whatever might come down the pipe economically or governmentally or whatever. I'm rattling on, I'm preaching, and I'm well, no. interviewing you. I th well, no, I think the issue is is that we've, we've inverted it, at least in some church contexts, where we want you to fit into what we're doing. We're not interested in equipping you for whatever God's called you to do or to be. And I think because of that, I think I, one of my favorite professors at Fuller Seminary, Bobby Clinton, said that he attended a church for like three years before they would even let him say anything on a Sunday morning because he had to prove himself or something. There was, it wasn't like this, here's this guy walking in the door with, as, a, as a biblical encyclopedia on the subject of leadership, and he still had to go through the same hoops that anybody else walking through the door, and it's just not the same thing. So I think the, the idea that the equipping piece of what does God call you to be, to be and to do, uh, we get that mixed up sometimes. And just, I just want somebody to fill in my, my, my hole here and, and this need I have at the church. And as long as you can do that, that's fine. But I'm not really that interested in what you, what, what, what's in your heart or what's your vision and what are your passions so much. So I think those, those are big issues we've got to keep talking about. Yeah. And, and it, and it creeps into everything. I, I was in a, uh, for a little while, I helped out in a church plant uh, here where I live in California. And I, they had a, a worship leader who is, um, he really knows his stuff. He's very polished. He's very uh, professional about what he does. And, but here's a, a new church where if I was leader, I, I want a big worship band up there. You know? And if they don't play very well, don't plug them in. But let them, disciple them. Let that guy disciple these people who are still learning and and we'll and we'll create a value system that says we've we value people being mentored discipled and learning along the way and we're not after you know we don't see excellence as perfection we see excellence as movement right and and yet i watched people that nobody would ever last for more than two weeks trying to support this guy and they would get bounced because they weren't good enough Hmm. And, you know, that, that, 
whole thing has permeated the church so much that, I mean, you know, some of the churches that we see as most successful, it's really, they do a really good show. And, and maybe part of that show is the guy's a really good Bible teacher. I, you know, I, I know that I can tell stories pretty well. And I was pretty popular as a preacher. And I was on the radio and all that. And more than I would like to admit, uh, we were putting on a show for people while I was a pastor. Uh, we're, we're doing the other thing, I think, pretty well. But, you know, we're, we're it was still, uh, you know, Sunday dominated more than we want. And we actually actively worked to make Sunday be there for support to the smaller groups and to the individuals. Wow. But it still ended up American church culture kind of hurt us in some ways. Right. It's it is a challenge. And I, I, I so like uh, I did watch your your first podcast with Neil Cole. And I, I was so blessed by the just the fact that you guys are talking about doing church in very biblical but simple and not very costly ways. I mean, when you guys got onto the subject of it's this is low cost, it does freak everybody out because doing biblical things doesn't have to be cost driven at all. And so I, I find that uh, reproducibility, low cost, we got to keep shooting for that so that everybody has a place at the table. And uh, in, our, in our situation, where we're working on getting involved in church planting in Guatemala in the next couple of 20 years, maybe, it really takes us to the what are the basics of the gospel and how will we reproduce ourselves in a tribal or an ethnic situation that's not Western. So all the issues are on the table of how, who are we, what is the gospel, who is Jesus, and how do we take people out of room, out of darkness, literally, uh, and how do we bring them into the light, but in, a way, in such a way that then whatever church they, they create is going to be healthy for their context. So, so I, I'm, uh, I just love uh, hearing you talk because it forces me back to the drawing table on multiple occasions. Like, okay, I got to think about that. And so, um, but I'm at the same time, I'm as excited as ever I've been as far as, you know, with the Lord, every day is a new day. And uh, there's great opportunities in this post-pandemic world as we're moving to a post-pandemic world for the gospel. And I think receptivity has gone up as well. People are more open to talk about spiritual things. You know, you're the first person I heard ever say that, that receptivity has gone up in the post-pandemic world. Everybody else seems to be crying. Talk to me about your, about your enthusiasm. Tell us why. Well, okay, so, you know, just... This maybe sounds so simple or so maybe obscure, but I'm in a Subway you know, sandwich shop a month ago, and I, I made it a, a purpose in my mind. I'm going to tip bigger when people are struggling. You know, it's the best time to tip. And I think I gave this girl like $5, and she was just like in shock. And, uh, and, and, I, and I said something like, you know, this is because I know it's a, it's a tough time for you guys and appreciate what you do. And it was just, she was disarmed by that. So simple of a thing. And I just knew that, uh, hey, this is a, the, the, things are changing. And you hear about it all the time where people are talking about what are the most important issues in their life with the amount of, now, Comparatively speaking, maybe 600,000 deaths aren't a lot as, as pandemics go in the world. Certainly the Spanish flu is much, much worse. But at least in our mind, it's a big deal. And um, 
I really believe that our best days are ahead of us. And we're going to see lots of growth, but we want to see growth that will sustain itself. If we just get a, if we just have a bunch of mega churches that are effectively sucking the life out of other churches, I don't think we've gone where God wants us to go. But if we have lots of small home groups or cell groups, whatever you, term you want to use, if we have a lot of that where people are genuinely thinking about their neighbors, I had, I'll, I'll give you one example. My, my, deeply Catholic neighbor across the street who reads my newsletter every month and follows what, what I do, we've come to this conclusion that we need each other. And there was just an element where we just felt like, I, I believe in your faith in Christ and she believes, I mean, I believe in her, she believes in mine. So there's no questions about we're both in the kingdom, but that we could sit there for an hour and talk like a few weeks ago about what I'm doing in Latin America and what's going on in her life it was just, it's just a different, things have changed, and I don't know, four or five years ago, had, would we have had that conversation, but there's a sense, and we both said it, that we need to be networking with like-minded people, so that we can be effective in who Christ is, or who Jesus has called us to be, so that, that was definitely, that was another one of those signs to me that things are changing, and uh, I'm, I'm actually, I think the best is yet to come, I, I believe, God will use any, any structures that we have out there. He's always so merciful. But I think it's on us to do the best we can to create structures that are going to bring about more health in the church and be stewards of the bride of Christ. So I'm, I'm excited, but the, there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm also optimistic about uh, a generation that sees through some of the things that we bought, bought into, at least I did, that were very cursory, very peripheral Early on in my ministry, I thought, wow, that's really super important that we have all the, you know, the, a run sheet that's just where the services is so smooth. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of crazy nowadays when I look at that stuff. But I, and I get it when you have large crowds, you got to have it very organized. I'm not against that. But, uh, but I, I do want to make room for spontaneity and the Holy Spirit to show up. So, so anyway, that's, that's kind of what's going on with me. Oh, that's cool. I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I super appreciate our friendship. Yeah, likewise.